All right. Just a few minutes late, but hopefully not too bad. Welcome, everyone. This is the Promotional More Practice live chat for this Wednesday, October 19th, 2016. I hope you're doing well. My name is Luke Thomas. Uh, yes, I need a shave. Maybe I'll get one after the chat. Um, today, we'll be discussing, of course, the dust-up, the uh, whatever you want to call this, this dispute between the Ultimate Fighting Championship and its uh, one of its most decorated competitors ever in George St. Pierre. We'll talk about some of these layoffs and what they mean for various markets. We'll talk about, um, there's actually a Bellator event on Friday. I believe there's like a Bellator event, something like eight of the next nine weeks, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Um, so we'll get into that as well and any other recent news or notes or whatever else you want to talk about. I saw someone in the comments discussing even sex with AI, <laughs> uh, artificially enhanced uh, or artificial intelligence sort of engined robots. I don't know if we'll get to that, but I'll do my best. Uh, okay, best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com or comments that turn green, get priority, but not exclusivity. Although today, there's not that many comments because uh, it's a bit of a downtime in the sport. So I will try to get to as many of those as I can. And of course, thank you so much for watching. Okay, uh, do I have any updates for you? Mm, had another call with a t-shirt guy. I know you guys don't believe that, but it is true. And that's about it. Got Coke Zoom today because it's that kind of day all right let's get to this shall we not too far okay first question uh, middleweight chaos first of all, let me make sure that the audio is good audio appears to be good two weeks in a row look at that Barbus is here, being a weirdo. All right, middleweight chaos. Luke, since Bisping won the title, the whole middleweight division has been in a state of turbulence to the point where the four top contenders have to fight each other for the next shot. Weidman versus Romero and Rockhold versus Jacare 2 will both be taking place next month. And even with the winners of those bouts, the title picture will still be blurry. It's true. Riding a three-fight win streak, Gagard Musasi also deserves to be mentioned after his second-round destruction of Vitor Belfort. I wouldn't put him in the same position as those guys, but certainly he's not too far away. Question. Based on the positioning of the top middleweights in the division, who among them is likeliest to get the next title shot at the belt? I think that's almost a more constructive way of having this conversation versus who deserves it. Because the deserve part is really hard to parse. This is a very interesting time. You know, Jacare had this video interview with, I think, our own Guillermo Cruz recently where he was like, you know, Bisping winning effed up the whole division. Uh, and that's a bit of an overstatement. But it's certainly, to the point, to the question here, it did, it did change things. Like if Rockhold had won that, there would have been probably a Rockhold-Wyman rematch of some kind or maybe a Rockhold-Jacare again. But there would have been, the top contenders all would have more or less known their place, at least with more clarity than there is now. Bisping coming in there and then fighting Dan Henderson, it just it just kind of changed things in an unusual way. It was very unexpected, and um, it just created a new, fresh set of matchups and made the existing ones available. Um, it changed their value and their place. Here's the interesting part to me about this. I actually spoke to Michael Bisping yesterday, and he thinks Weidman is most likely going to be your top candidate if he wins at 205. And this is the uh, the component to me that needs sort of to be discussed. We often like when evaluating someone's worthiness of a title shot, we do the sort of the two common, um, we have two sort of common ways of evaluating that. One, 
to what extent does a resume merit it? And two, to what extent is this, uh, you know, a viable commercial opportunity? You know, what kind of business will it do? And in this particular case, you know, you could maybe argue that Weidman or Rockhold will do better business, but it's not like any of these guys are just going to knock it out of the park financially, right? One is not clearly superior to the other. Maybe Weidman's better, but by how much? It's, it's, it's not a significant amount anyway. So in that sense, it's, it's fairly negligible differences. So then you have to look at the resume, but the resumes aren't all that helpful either. You know, Weidman coming off a devastating loss, Rockhold coming off of a devastating loss, but both of those guys were champions. Both of those guys were champions, but Weidman is only one of those two to defend his title. Then you have Romero, who uh, has looked great, but of course had the issue with USADA. The USADA issue was mostly mitigated, but nevertheless is still out there. They put him on the sidelines for a while. He beat Jacare, but Jacare uh, has an incredible resume. Uh, I believe he got back on the horse after that, where there was some inactivity with Romero. So it's a really strange position. All the more exacerbated by, I think, what to me seems like the most, like why is Weidman at the front of the queue? In my judgment, Weidman is at the front of the queue, one, because he has sort of created this connectivity to Bisping with these statements about like being embarrassed for him, and this is a guy that no one expected to be... Um, middleweight champion and he won't be as soon as he fights a real contender and all those kinds of statements that's one reason the other reason though and this is the key insight here is look one of these fights is taking place on the main card of the biggest ufc card arguably in history another one is taking place in australia as a matter of fact is that one even airing on fight pass i don't know that it is let me see i haven't checked that part out yet let's so let's verify that so one we know is going to be on pay-per-view on a conor mcgregor card it's going to be massive so UFC Fight Night Rockhold Jacare 2, UFC Fight Night 101. Let's see. This will air, I believe, on Fight Pass, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it hasn't been determined yet. It doesn't say here on Wikipedia. But on the Wikipedia poster, it does not have uh, the FS1 logo on it anywhere. Let's see. Let's see, one-on-one fight pass. Oops. Just want to verify this real quickly. Oh, no, it's on Fox Sports 1. It's on Fox Sports 1. Okay, even then, you get the idea. So to me, the prevailing issue is two things. Number one, Weidman is going to be, forget all the trash talk. Number one, Weidman's going to be fighting at UFC 205 against Romero. Number one, Romero is the guy who was sort of the de facto contender, given that he had beaten Jacare and um, you saw the issues notwithstanding. But Weidman's card is going to be in a much more, Weidman's fight is on a much more visible card, and it's happening before the Jacare versus Rockhold bout. That really puts Jacare and Rockhold in a really disadvantageous position. So to me, when you're evaluating you know, who's likeliest to get the card, it's who is most front and center in the fan base. Now you could say, well, you know, um, that's just sort of bad luck for Rockhold that he got placed there. But you have to wonder, you know, they didn't put him there by accident. You wonder if the UFC is sort of signaling their intentions. Now, look, they had to put Weidman on that New York. I didn't have to, but they really was 
it made a lot of sense to put Wyman on that New York card and they have to fill out their existing obligations for the calendar. It sort of made sense to put these guys where they were. Perhaps it's luck. Perhaps it was by design and they were kind of leading by their intentions and, and placing uh, these guys in different positions. But you get the idea. Um, you know, the worthiness of the resume is one thing. How much they can sell at the gate is another. But I just feel like Rockhold Souza too, while a tremendous, tremendous battle, and the winner of that would in every way be deserving. It's being tucked away across the, the world. Um, and it's going to be airing on free TV, so that's no small thing. But it's just not the same as happening after Weidman fighting Romero at UFC 205. Now, if Weidman loses, hey, all bets are off. At that point, I don't know. I don't know if Romero would get it ahead of Jacare and Rockhold. It's going to be kind of crazy. But I just think if Weidman ends up being the winner, that's your guy for the reasons aforementioned. Someone says, who will be the voice of reason? Now that Lorenzo is out of the picture, how much will this impact the sport? I think there is a Lorenzo question later, so we'll get to that then. One of my dogs is going ape. Uh, okay, true false. The Ronda Nunez fight will end in the first round. I have to think that's true. Jose Aldo and GSP will fight in the UFC again. I will say true. The large number of UFC employees being laid off could negatively affect the company's future. You wrote could, not will. So I'll say true, but it very well could not. It's, it's unclear. The Hendo Bisping fight is an example of why we need to reevaluate the way MMA fights are scored. Um, I would certainly agree with that. We've gone over that a bunch, though. Teruto Ishihara is the only man that is a bigger donk than Mike Platinum Perry. No, I don't think so. Although, is, he, is Teruto Ishihara a donk? No, because he's sort of in on the joke, right? That's a little bit different than old Perry. Uh, fantasy matchups. Bisping versus Musasi. Ooh. I'll say Musasi. Romero versus Rockhold. Rockhold. Belfort versus Machida. Machida. Manoa versus Shogun. Ooh. Um, I'll say Manoa at this point. OSP versus Anderson Silva. Oof. Jesus. Uh, I guess I'd say OSP. I don't know. That's a tough one. Strew versus Barnett. Still give Struve a chance. Oh, sorry, Barnett a chance. And then Bektich versus Burrell. I would go take a flyer. Maybe I don't know if Bektich is ready yet, but I think he will be very soon. Okay, here we go. GSP. GSP didn't seem to think that Dana White was the problem and blamed the new owners for his contract issues. A lot of fans thought that Dana White was the problem. How do you think Dana White's press conference blasting GSP affects his current exit from the UFC? Okay. It's actually a GSP question after this. All right. Um, so I actually spoke to his lawyer this morning, Jim Quinn, from Weil, Gottschall, and Manjess Law Firm, which, by the way, is like a super prestigious law firm. Um, I spoke to him today. So that's going to air later on my radio show this afternoon. But um, in me talking to him, 
I got the sense that there were a number of stumbling blocks, that it wasn't merely one issue or the other. Now, there might be one legal avenue by which they are pushing this free agency issue, and that, I can tell you, is the nature of the bout agreement. Uh, the bout agreement that he was offered, I don't believe they feel fulfills the requirements of how a bout agreement is supposed to be offered. And if that's the case, that, in their judgment, renders the existing contract um, uh, terminable. So that's the issue. But in terms of the holdup, and I actually asked him, like, what exactly were some of the holdups? Jim Quinn was brought in later in the negotiating period. In other words, they had gone back and forth a number of months where he was not involved. He was brought in, I won't say late, but relatively later in the process. Um, and he didn't exactly divulge all the specifics of what caused the dispute, but he did say that there were myriad in place. To me, we know why GSP walked away in part. Perhaps he was upset with the nature of drug testing at the time. Uh, obviously, the nature of things he had described, right, being burned out, that's a clear component of this. Um, I do believe that some of the things that UFC President Dana White said both um, before his absence Right, that day after the, the, the press conference after the Hendricks loss, and then in, in this sort of like weird moment in the last few weeks where he was saying, you know, GSP doesn't really want to come back. I don't think those in any way helped it, but I, I ultimately don't think that would have hindered a deal ultimately. Like Dana White saying those things clearly didn't help, but that's not what scuttled the deal, in my judgment, and from what I understand and what he told me. Uh, annoying, perhaps, uh, insulting, certainly. Uh, ultimately a deal breaker? No. Um, but to your point, were they irrelevant also? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think in the end, if he had, if he had reached, um, an agreement based on getting about agreement in the way that which they would had, okay. If they had reached a larger agreement by receiving about agreement in the way in which they had asked for one and had there been issues resolved relative to this Reebok stuff and, uh, the monetary disagreements, it, it wasn't like if all of those had been met, that same period would have been like, you know what, but I just don't like the things Dana White has said. I don't, I don't get that at all. This to me very much from my discussion with, with uh, attorney Quinn feels like uh, those things I aforementioned were the ones that were um, the real issues. I don't think Dana White, you know, is out there helping necessarily, but he's not killing the deal either. It must be nice to go on and be able to say those things and not be held. Uh, accountable for him to that kind of extent, but so so that's the issue that I that I uh, as I understand it. And there's another question back to back with GSP. So let's dig into this GSP stuff. All right, GSP contract issues. I hope these days leave you with a smile upon your face. Okay, I don't know that it does that, but all right. If I've understood correctly, and I might very well not, the major point of contention between GSP and UFC is that GSP argues that his originally negotiated salary is no longer valid as it was agreed upon during a time GSP was getting extra income from sponsors and that affecting the agreed compensation. That is part of it. That is not the totality of it. UFC, in turn, is not willing to increase how much they pay for GSP to cover up the difference to the point of GSP satisfaction and that GSP's contract is still valid even with the massive chance in the sponsorship. I think you mean massive change in the sponsorship system since the contract was originally drawn upon. Here's the issue. If ultimately the money was the final stumbling block, and I don't know that they ever reached a final conclusion on it, but I believe they've made some progress. 
ultimately what caused this is they said, okay, you have 10 days to give us a bout offer, a bout agreement. Give us one. And apparently what they got was something equivalent to a letter or email, but something very unofficial that just mentioned Robbie Lawler. Like, you have, like in other words, his attorney told me, you need to give us a name, and it can't be like an injured fighter. Like, this has to be done in an official, straightforward, above-board capacity. And what they got was like a hint of a suggestion about Robbie Lawler, but that it didn't come with a date or venue or how many rounds or to what extent any titles on the line, nothing. It was just like, what about Robbie Lawler? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if that's exactly what the email said, but something along those lines that it just wasn't very official and that that doesn't satisfy the proper requirements um, as laid out in this contract. And of course, in the letter they sent to the UFC with that 10 day deadline, when that ultimately expired, they believe that gave them license to ultimately terminate um, the existing agreement. There were other issues, the Reebok one playing into them um, and the sponsorship issues and the ultimate price that he was asking. But if those, again, if those were ultimately like if they hadn't budged on those at all, why would you ask for a bout agreement? I mean, of course, unless it was merely to sever things because you knew it wasn't going to be right. But the, the presumption, at least in court, is probably going to be such that it goes there is that um, why would you ask for an agreement? Why would you ask for a bout offer? Um, if 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 you hadn't even gotten anywhere close on money, now maybe that bad offer would have included the money, and they could have gone from there. Um, but we'll see. Here's the interesting part about this: when I spoke to him, um, I was like, "So what is the resolution here?" Because think about the Randy Couture situation, and you know it's funny. The Randy Couture situation was nine years ago this month, right? It happened in October. I think I want to say October 11th or 12th of 2007. Um, so not long ago, I mean, it's, it's, it's deja vu all over again, right? Um, he resigned from his contract. Now, interestingly, he was still champion at the time. So in George St. Pierre handing back the contract, um, that doesn't ultimately prevent him from being held onto for life, but it certainly makes things a little less complicated for him. But okay, forget about that. This is the point. If Randy Couture had simply said, I'm resigned I'm resigning from the UFC. What would have happened? Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. Remember, there were two lawsuits involved at that time. I know this is complicated, but just kind of follow me here for a second. I'll make it easy, as easy as I can. Two lawsuits. Number one, the UFC sued Couture. But you'll recall it was not for his promotional contract. It was for a separate employment agreement that he had with them relative to promoting other brands. I think it involved some of the, uh, you know, what you couldn't do. Uh, it involved some of his commentary duties, things like that. It was just an employment agreement that they had. And they agreed that in that employment agreement, that if he were to retire from the sport, um, a 12 month window would kick in where he had a non-compete. So when he said he resigned, they just kicked that in. In other words, they, they didn't accept it as he was resigned. They accepted it as retirement. Okay. Um, it was the promotional dispute was when Cuban took Zufa to court to get some kind of declaratory judgment uh, about whether or not there was, in terms of his bout agreements and everything else, about the two fights he had left on his deal, is there a sunset on this? Like, does this expire on a clock or is it just there in perpetuity? And they never really got an answer to that because, you know, um, 
I think there was an injunction placed on Couture from promoting, and then they were going to move the court case out of Texas into Nevada. And then at that point, they just said, forget it. He got a new 3-5 deal and then went and fought uh, Brock Lesnar and got smashed. But that's the basic gist of what happened. So how is that relevant here? Well, GSP has said, I'm a free agent. Okay. But if he doesn't say anything else or do anything else, how do they go to litigation over that? Right, because USP or uh, UFC has said uh, he's still under an existing agreement with us, and that's that. In other words, Couture didn't merely resign from a contract. There was then actions taken uh, by a third party uh, to trigger something, to get some kind of resolution and answer from the court. I, I don't know that GSP is looking for this to be litigated necessarily. In fact, my impression is... What they basically want out of this is ideally a new contract. That's what they want. That they're putting up the threat of going to a competitor and putting up the threat of going to litigation if it gets that far. But I think what they really want is merely a new contract. Now, how likely that is, I do not know. How quickly that might happen, I do not know. It is, I have to say, it is amazing to me that they are doing this. <laughs> At the same time that they're laying off, according to our own Ariel Hawani, 80% of their staff in the Canadian office. Now, some of that I think might be rebuilt, but okay. Uh, just two months away from UFC 206 in Canada. In other words, you, know, you don't merely have George St. Pierre on the card. You're battling with him publicly while laying off 80% of your staff there. Uh, I, I, I am, and we'll get to this later. I am certain that some of these layoffs are merely a result of corporate redundancy. Okay. I'm just saying for a market that Dana White used to describe as frenzied and hot as could be and has all the conditions ripe to be, you know, as bountiful and plentiful as the United States of America, a, a country that buys these events on pay-per-view. I mean, this is a critical country. Um, to the UFC's success. Not the most critical, but certainly up there. And they're doing this right at the time, <laughs> right at the time before uh, a what was supposed to be a major pay-per-view. It is shocking to me. It is shocking to me that they're doing that. Now, maybe they can get a resolution for 206, although I sort of see that as impossible at this point. But I guess if you're wondering, you know, what you asked previously, someone did a true-false, will St. Pierre fight in the octagon again? I have a feeling he will. Um, I don't feel like, cause like, look, is every time I've interviewed Scott Coker about someone, you know, let's, let's take an example. Someone's on the last fight of their UFC deal. And I'll ask Scott Coker, Hey, someone's on the last fight of their UFC deal. What do you think? And I'd be like, Oh man, that guy's a great fighter. And, uh, you know, but he's got a contract with the UFC and, uh, you know, we're not going to talk to them if that's the case. But, you know, if he decides that, uh, you know, he wants to fight out his contract all the way and, um, you know, he's, uh, it's legal to talk to him and negotiate with him after his contract over there expires you know, we'll give it some thought. Like, he is he is adamant, like, avowedly non-confrontational with the UFC in that regard. Like, he doesn't ever say, you know, we're going to talk to someone as long as there's even one hour of, of UFC control over them. You know, it's, they have to be completely gone. Do I really feel like Viacom is going to file a lawsuit on St. Pierre's behalf to get the question about whether his terminated contract is legit? Uh... I, I have a hard time believing that. And so if, if he's not going to do that, who is? 
And the question is, if it's not him, is it going to be World Series of Fighting? I doubt it. Maybe one. But then St. Pierre wants to fight for one? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. This, this, lead, this leads me to the conclusion that should it be necessary to get this litigated, they will. But A, I don't know what the action is going to be to get this litigated. The main partner or the main person and organization here that you would think would be you know, most likely to benefit would be Bellator. I don't think they're going to want to get involved in this at all at this stage, although I suspect, you know, could be wrong about that. But two, uh, I think this is just to get a new deal. That's it. That's all this is for. Now, you know, is WME going to push back on this? I don't know what they're, (laughs) I don't know what they're doing, uh, to be honest. Much of us don't, but that to me is, I think, the lay of the land as I understand it. He needs to do something else to get this triggered. Mark Cuban was willing to do that. And why was Mark Cuban willing to do it for Randy Couture? Because remember, Fedor had signed with M1, and HDNet wanted to make a Couture versus Fedor fight. That's what the whole thing was about. Remember, Couture was like, I'm tired of swimming upstream with UFC management. And um, and there you go. Like, in the end, what, what's, what's really notable to me is that the Couture-UFC relationship completely fell apart in the end. But as long as he was actively fighting, Everyone seems to come home. BJ Penn came home. Uh, Couture came home. Now, Fedor never came back to the UFC, but he never started with them either. Barbas was just being a, a maniac today. Um, I just I just have a hard time believing Spike's going to be like, you know what, let's get involved with a lawsuit with the UFC. Maybe we'll be you know hit with torturous interference and you know other kinds of fun little legal problems. I, I just don't buy that. Someone else has to go out there and figure this out on St. Pierre's behalf, and then Viacom might get involved. So if I were you, I would bank on, I'm not saying it won't be litigated in some capacity. I still think that is a decent probability. But if you're asking me, in the end, what does this look like? This looks like St. Pierre getting a new deal down the road. That's what it looks like to me, a new UFC deal. So we'll see. Do other fighters support GSP? Best being said, he doesn't like to negotiate in public, and Lawler said GSP doesn't want to fight him. If the other fighters aren't on his side, is there any chance of a union? You have to wonder how legit that is, though. You know, if like, look, could things be going better for Michael Bisping right now? I mean, he's doing great. You know, he just defended his title. He fought in Manchester. He's on TV. He's making the biggest paychecks of his life. Like, he's he's riding high. I suspect he's got really nice things to say about the UFC, and I and he even admitted to me that you know he's had dust ups with them behind the scenes, but you know uh, he ultimately never um, felt it necessary to air it out publicly. Okay, well that's him. Some guys don't feel that way. Saint Pierre felt like he was at an impasse. Saint Pierre's got a ton of leverage, at least relative to Bisping, even as champion, um, given the, his ability to commercially draw. And. Uh, you know, felt the need to exercise it. I, I I feel like here's the thing: whether fighters are on his side or not, to me, is kind of irrelevant. You know, every time there's a lockout in the NFL, what do you always, 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 always hear, man? You always hear this. You always hear it's a bunch of millionaires versus billionaires. Why should me, Joe Q. Smith, even give a damn? And the answer is, I suppose, depending on your worldview, you shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that these differing parties through a collective bargaining agreement won't reach new levels of progress or such that it is necessary through litigation 
some gains won't be achieved, right? Whether or not you care or whether or not you take a side is irrelevant. What matters is what a judge says in this particular case anyway. So if the judge agrees and then all of these benefits are conferred at scale across the, um, the UFC fighter roster, then I think you'll see, you know, some, some changing attitudes right now. Some are just like, why should, I mean, this is saying this, 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 it feels so distant from them. You know, if you're, if you're, I mean, just pick a guy, right? If you're Ian McCall, what does, I mean, you, you might be on the way out anyway, if you have one more injury, you know, yeah, you got to fight coming up against Neil Siri and that's important, but like what happens to St. Pierre feels so far away from you, you know? So I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't know how Ian McCall actually feels. Maybe Ian McCall supports him. I'm, I'm just sort of picking an example of how far away their lives feel. But the question is, if he can get, if, if I asked the attorney this too, like to what extent is what St. Pierre is doing scalable across the fighter contracts in the UFC. And it's not exactly clear, but he didn't, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say this is completely isolated to a quirk in the contract of St. Pierre. He did not say that. So you wonder if some kind of thing is litigated, what kind of changes will happen in the industry? And then then you ask fighters, you know, how do you feel about this? Um, I, we might get a different perspective then. All right. Um, how bad can things get from a fan standpoint? What is the worst case scenario you can see with the new owners? P.S. Dana doesn't look overjoyed to have stayed on, but unlike Lorenzo at all, Dana has literally nothing of consequence to do. I don't know if that's true. His role in the UFC defines him. Uh, I don't know that he has nothing of consequence to do. I would say he has a few things of consequence to do, more than a few. All right. Um, Let's go back to the first part of the question. From a fan standpoint, what is the worst case scenario you can see with the new owners? I mean, I don't even want to think about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is what? Complete dissolution of mixed martial arts or something? But okay, likely bad. Let's talk about a likely bad scenario. I have never in my career covering mixed martial arts, either professionally or as a hobbyist, seen this level of discontent among the fighters in the UFC ever. Now, I do not believe, as I mentioned on Twitter, that we have reached a tipping point. I do not believe that we have gone over some cliff to the point of no return. In fact, I feel like we're pretty far from it. However, um, stars have battled with the UFC previously. We mentioned a couple of them. Rank and file, of course, have battled with the UFC previously. But there's never been this kind of widespread discontent. Right, you have both stars and rank and file, not merely, in some cases, hitting the nuclear option. Right, you got guys like Al Quinta just saying, "I'll just go sell real estate." Okay, that's crazy. Uh, and then you've got Saint Pierre. Now, again, other stars have done something like this, but at the same time, guys like Al Quinta are doing that. My colleague Chuck Mendenhall made a point that, like, even if they're not doing a whole lot or chirping up a whole lot, although there's a lot of that now. Fighters are slowly becoming more receptive to pro-fighter arguments. You know, I don't feel like the fighters feel like they did at the same time as UFC 151. I'm sure many of them still do, but not. It's the intellectual shift is is, is happening a little bit. Um, and you know, just all these different from so many different angles. So many people complaining about uh, treatment and their fair share, and I don't feel like any of it's accidental. I feel like they've been building to this for a long time. Frankly, I feel like some of this is absolutely inevitable. It's inevitable, right? I mean, just think about it logically. Like um, the amount of money available 
before wasn't nearly as much, although there was always been, uh, you know, always, okay. Once they turned the, the business around, there's been a lot. Um, but there's incrementally more and more and more and more and more, particularly recently with this sort of $4.2 billion um, acquisition. And the other part is there's just been this slow creep of infringement on um, the, the and, and essentially this um, undermining of their status as an independent contractor, right? Like, I just don't know if it was legally challenged how it is possible to say as an independent contractor, I have to tell you my whereabouts at all times. That to me seems absolutely impossible to justify. Impossible to justify. That may be good for anti-doping efforts, but what's that got to do with um, the legal boundaries of being an independent contractor? And uh, then you add in sort of these, um, the killing off of the sponsorship market and this imposition of Reebok, and you can just sort of slowly see um, they've just added on more responsibility and to the point where fighters are becoming very questioning of what it means to be an independent contractor. And that's what we mean. Why isn't that um, fact reflected in our lives? Then you have the fact that um, there's been a slow and steady examination of UFC fighter contracts. I cannot tell you how many experts I've spoken to. Um, and I'm not an expert in contract law, but the ones who are almost to a man tell me that there is nothing quite like these contracts anywhere else in professional sports. You can, you can um, today, um, St. Pierre's attorney told me, you, you know, technically if St. Pierre lived to 170, he'd be locked into some of these contracts unless they had sort of declared this termination, right? If that hadn't happened, you'd be locked into it. And these guys don't have the ability to license their own likeness. Like this is totally, I mean, these are contracts in other sports from the 70s, from the 1970s, like totally anachronistic, completely anachronistic. Um, and I feel like that's finally slowly dawning on them. So you have this like intellectual shift brought about by these, the slow creep of imposition on them at the same time that there's more and more money happening. And now you're just seeing this crossover. And because these guys feel like there's a gap between them, right? There's this much money and there's this much access to this much money. And yet there's all these burdens on me. Some of these guys are making, even if it's a bluff, you know, if, if look, if what Iaquinta is doing is a bluff, that's a serious bluff, man. That's a serious bluff. And you could say, oh, what does it matter if Ayala Quinta loses? You're not going to lose your business if Ali Quinta goes away. You're not going to lose your business if George St. Pierre goes away. But you're asking about a worst-case scenario. Here's one. What if you had virtual mutiny? Right? I don't think this is likely, but let's just sort of posit a scenario, a theoretical scenario. Um, I mentioned this before in a previous video. Man, the train is always leaving the station on these events. What if guys just stopped signing bout agreements? Right? They just said no, like they'd had enough. And they couldn't fill cards, and they had to start canceling event after event after event. Like, what would happen? You know, I don't, I don't even, I don't know that that's the best solution to the problem. In fact, nor am I encouraging it in any capacity. But you know, you're talking about worst case scenario. You're looking at it. It doesn't matter if you lose one guy or another. But what if they start falling out on mass? However unlikely that might be, that would be incredibly destructive. Incredibly destructive. Um, so I, I hope that it never even comes to that. It's not good for you or me or the sport, or WMEIMG, like no one really wins except if there's some kind of awesome resolution for the fighters, I suppose, but I doubt that's the best way to go about it. The best way to go about it is probably more conventional means, but that is, that's the argument. It's like, everyone's like, well, I don't care if we lose. Jose Aldo can go walk, he can go fight in jungle fight. Okay, well, that's, you know, <laughs> that's not a very thoughtful way to look at this, nor is it a, a way that any kind of executive would. 
I mean, if it was just a question of, oh, you should just release fighters, don't you think the UFC would have done it by now? Right? There's a reason why they haven't. And because that's a very bad idea to do that. All right. Let's keep this moving. Demetrius Johnson versus Dominic Cruz super fight. At this point, we will probably see Cruz defend his bantamweight title against Cody or TJ Dillashaw. Assuming Cruz does it successfully, why are we not talking more about a champion versus champion super fight against the flyweight division king? Because it just feels like that's a remote possibility versus one that's actually happening. Although we've already seen them fight, it was years ago. It was in Washington, D.C. Since that, they showed an amazing evolution. It would be very interesting to witness a second bout between the two of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world in their primes. Do you believe that's the fight to make if Cruz and Johnson defend their respective titles one more time? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. But you know what? Demetrius Johnson will tell you. He'll tell you straight up, what is my priority? Look, if I can get a big money fight, great. If not, I will just keep fighting flyweights. I do not care. Love that about Demetrius Johnson, man. In the age where all these guys are looking for super fights, and I don't blame them because they've got kids and everything else, but the guy who's like, look, I mean, if one happens, of course, I'll take it. Like, this is not, I'm not a fool. I'm not going to look and turn down money, but um, I'm happy to just to be king of the flyweights. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. I really do. You know, a responsibility to a weight class that he acknowledges, um, you know, a willingness to, to essentially not weight class, take on all comers, um, and just sort of a at ease with his own uh, arguments and position on this matter. I, I, you know, all these guys desperate for these changes that sort of muck up the, the contendership queue. Not for, not for Demetrius. I, I really, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. What is more important? Big stars like GSP fighting UFC contracts or lower level guys like Iaquinta giving up a spot on UFC 205 to sell real estate? Um, more important for what? I would ask. Then you write, one obviously makes bigger headlines, but stories like Iaquinta may have more emotional effect if the issue reaches the masses. Thoughts? Certainly what St. Pierre does is going to matter more, but St. Pierre is not going to quit fighting to go. Here's what I would tell you. If someone like St. Pierre quit to go sell real estate, that would be terrible. Uh, but I don't think that's what he's doing. I get the impression he's angling for a new contract. That's very much the impression that I get. Um, but I don't think it's one or the other. Yes, the St. Pierre issue is going to be uh, much more visible and therefore much more valuable or you know da damaging to the various parties. But the Iaquinta one is not something you can just sort of look off and say it's no big deal. I think that kind of thing, if guys are just hitting the nuclear option on their careers, like think about that for a second. And this is a very promising fighter, a very talented guy. And he's just willing to burn it and walk. Like that, if guys are doing that, man, like who does that in the NFL? Only guys who've had like severe concussion problems, you know? Um, but, like, what was the last time a guy in the NFL, I mean, maybe Ricky Williams, but he had all those issues with discipline and his, and his form fell off. When was the last time somebody who was, like, really good in the NFL was just like, I'm going to walk because I don't like the way I'm being treated? <laughs> like, I mean, I can't even think of one, you know, because the last thing on their mind is how much money they're making. I mean, I'm sure they care too, but it's not, you know, they don't have to, like, make these, like, super difficult life choices about which way to go with their career um, because the money is that, 
you know, com comparable to a, a job selling real estate. It's, it's crazy. Okay. All right. Um, who wants to fight Cyborg? Why don't we see any top women bantamweight contenders willing to fight Chris Cyborg at 145? Well, one, I don't think they want to get torched. And two, I, I suspect the money is not right. Let's not forget these women also have to cut weights to compete at 135 and would also probably be healthy for them to compete at 145. That's true. Why aren't ladies like Zingano or Pena or Macman? I think Sarah McMahon is who you think of. Or Holm or Tate or even Amanda Nunes entertain the idea of possibly fighting Cyborg next. Uh, if it came with a big payday, they'd probably do it. You said, and look, obviously it's a tough challenge, but Marlos Kunin did it, you know, made it out alive. Um, I, I really believe that there was, if there was some commensurate bump in pay, they would take it. But what are you going to do? Ronda Rousey victim mentality. All right, this is interesting. From all the things we've seen Rousey say and her actions up to this point, do you feel like she's that she likes to play the victim card? Okay, what are your pieces of evidence? You list them as, number one, blaming the media for turning against her. We actually haven't heard Rousey say that, only Dana say that. Dana, we know, doesn't like the media, so it, I, I, that is a bit of an open question. Okay, going off on page for congratulating Holly on winning the title. That certainly was weird. Trademarking the phrase, F them all. All right. Putting words into Betch's mouth saying she was making fun of her dad's suicide when she clearly wasn't. Uh, admitting to contemplating suicide when she lost her title. I don't know if that's a victim mentality. Um, okay. So is this a victim mentality? Well, I don't really know what a victim mentality would mean. I mean, we all have a general opinion about what it could mean. Uh, I don't know if there's a clinical definition. I don't think that's the case, nor am I in a position to make psychological diagnoses. In this scenario, it feels like to me there is a bit of creeping insecurity um, that goes through this, and that's where that comes from. And it's played out along this as well, and along these routes as well. Um, but I don't, I don't know that she sees herself victimized by the world. Um, I just feel like because she's appears to be, in certain respects, insecure about. Um, being challenged by life in various capacities. When life pushes, she decides to push back. Which sometimes you have to, but I think we can all agree in many cases she's done that when it wasn't necessary. Like telling Betch not to cry, you know, and then she gets brutally knocked out and then cries, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, why would you tell, I mean, it, you know, intentionally needling people or, um, uh, you know, not taking stock of, how do I say this exactly? Uh, you can hear Barbas. Come here, buddy. Come here, stop. Stop playing around. All right. <laughs> you got a haircut. Looks good, doesn't he? Hey, tell me if this is true. Tell me if uh, Bisping looks like a black Falcor from the never-ending story. Atreyu! <laughs> He does, right? Uh, okay. Anyway, back to Rhonda. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like there's a measure of insecurity there that hasn't been fully dealt with, but 
you know, it's for a doctor to say, not for me. All right, Rhonda, what up, Luke? What's up, Coach Dion? Uh, isn't it crazy that people were saying that Rhonda needed time off to improve, and when she decided to take time off, people were killing her for that? Can this time off actually be good for her, and do you think she can come back better than before? Uh, okay, so this is a really interesting part about taking the time off. Stop, buddy. Um, did she really, like, buckle down in her training and the time off? I mean, I'm not – obviously, there's been some pictures of her training and whatnot, but, like, did she really do the things to buckle down um, in terms of shoring up her deficiencies? I don't see any evidence of that. There, there might be some, but I really feel like that's an open question. Like, everyone's like, oh, she took too much time off. Well, too much time for what? Like, is she really going to be worse when she comes back? That, that is certainly a possibility. We don't know how that knockout's going to affect her. But from a technical perspective, let's just sort of examine that. Is she going to be worse? And I just don't feel like we know the answer to that. But if you're going to take that much time off, you should be doing it, one, in the service of sort of, again, we talked about it before, refreshing yourself. But two, you need to be getting better. Everyone who is a Ronda Rousey sympathizer is like, oh, the world was crashing down on her before that fight. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Who, who could say otherwise? She also got beat fundamentally because there was a, as the styles match up, a skill differential. There was a skill differential. And maybe Holly loses, you know, two or three times out of Ronda. I bet if she beats her seven, six or seven times out of ten if they fought. I really, that the Ronda Rousey, in terms of what she had in the boxing department at that time, just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. And so in this, in this sabbatical that she's taken, has she been doing a lot of training? Like we know St. Pierre has. Saint, we know St. Pierre has because he tore his other ACL uh, and had to rehab that. And, and he's always uh, pictured in the gym or you know, doing something or another, not training like he's in a fight camp, but you know, really making sure he's on top of his game. And um, I just don't know if that's the case at all with Ronda. So I don't care that she took that much time off, but if it, was, it should have been in the service of some kind of self-improvement technically like what you can do when the cage door shuts and i don't i don't know that we got that that being said it may not matter in terms of beating amanda nunez you know maybe she beats her without having to do that at all but i don't know we'll see well, let me pull this chair up oh, God damn it. there we are 205 being four hours I was really surprised when they announced the length of the UFC 205 card as the total amount of fights seemed to be the same. They just shifted more fights on the actual pay-per-view. Why do you think they decided to change the structure of this? And does that mean that UFC 205 starts already at 9 p.m. as otherwise stated? Otherwise, that seems like stretching really late. It starts at 10. It starts at 10 like normal. Um, I think they gave themselves... So think of it this way. They're giving themselves an extra half hour of broadcast time. Right, because if you've got, um, what does it usually go? Ten to let's say one ish can go a little longer than that. So they usually give themselves three hours for five fights. Now they're going to give themselves six hours. Sorry, four hours. What am I saying? Yes, four hours for six fights. So they're buying a little bit of extra time because they have um, pay per view and they have three title fights on it. Right. So UFC thirty three, they had the three title fights, then went over the broadcast time. Yes, they're adding a fight, but they're adding an hour, which means they're still giving themselves uh, an extra half hour of broadcast time. So I think that's part of the reason. And I guess, you know, they want to blow it up and make it, you know, uh, maximum amount of sales or something or, you know, who knows. 
Uh, will sex robots <laughs> replace human lovers by 2025? This is an actual question. Soon we will have sex robots with uh, artificial intelligence and followed by sex robot brothels. One day the technology will be so good that these robots will almost be indistinguishable from real people. Yes, it's happening, the downfall of mankind. What impact do you think sex robots will have on society and relationships between man and, and woman? Uh, Going to be a lot more Harry Potter fans getting laid, I can tell you that. A lot of World of Warcraft donkeys are going to experience bliss. Beyond that, I hesitate to speculate. But good news if you've been picked on in high school or dumped in the garbage can when you were a freshman. According to this gentleman, there's going to be a sex robot to save the day. Ain't that grand? I mean, I'm not even thinking about sex robots. I just want, like, I'm going to get that new Google Pixel phone. I just want the assistant to work. That's why I don't want really to care about anything else. But, uh... But yeah, if you're a fan of Hogwarts, <laughs> you're in luck. Right, buddy? All right. We're a couple of months into new UFC ownership. Any thoughts, rumors, etc., regarding the plans of the new UFC ownership? Are we seeing any differences between the new ownership and the old ownership? Still very early to tell. Here is one thing that I am paying attention to. Uh, if you guys were reading this Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal articles about the way in which the debt was um, essentially financed to make that $4.2 billion deal possible, one of the ultimate conclusions that you come to is the UFC is under a, the new ownership is going to be under a fair amount of pressure to make money uh, in ways that even the old ownership not necessarily was. So how will that affect matchmaking? Right? I mean, to me, it's not a coincidence that Connor is sort of getting what he wants because I feel like in a previous time, UFC would have been happy to say, mm, that would have been big, but we don't need it to make oodles of cash. I don't know that this new UFC ownership necessarily believes that. Now, I can't say for sure that's the reason why the Connor McGregor fight was made in the way that it was. I don't know that you can draw a straight line between them. I'm just simply saying it will be curious to observe as time passes to what extent the contendership queue is continually disrupted to make big fights in an effort to make sure that um, the UFC makes enough money to essentially cover their debt and expenses. That will be interesting. Look, in your opinion, how big of a mistake did the new UFC regime make with GSP? If he goes to Bellator, how big of a jump do they get as far as a rival promotion? How close are they to being equals with the UFC? They are not close at all. Um, it is not that Bellator can't at times show signs of life with an event that can make you care, that can do great ratings for Spike, that can do a decent gait, and that can have an impact on the sport generally. They clearly have the ability to do that. Uh, and that's a good thing. We want that. In fact, we want that and more. However, the UFC basically has 90% of the world's elite talent. And we are talking about a massive, massive differential as a consequence. More than that, their in-house product, I'm sorry, their in-house, uh, well, I mean, they've laid off 15% of their workforce or less than 15%. But um, 
just as a company that is as vertically integrated as it is and can do so many things, remember they think of themselves not merely as fight promoters, but as a media company uh, and their ability to, to, at least relative to their peers, leverage that on a global scale uh, cannot be overstated. It just cannot be overstated. So look, um, Bellator can compete in certain ways and brings uh, a reasonable degree of healthy competition such that they can. Um, but even signing GSP wouldn't, I mean, look, it'd be foolish to say that wouldn't be significant, but it would still put them nowhere even close uh, to what the UFC is. Now, the question is, if GSP did it, uh, what would that mean for the rest of the roster? Would guys all of a sudden start changing their mind? Would they just start going to Bellator en masse? Would Bellator sign them en masse? Or, or right, what kind of ripple effects would it have? Okay, that would change the equation to some extent. But just having GSP, while significant and important, the contest is over. Like UFC won. That they won. Like that's 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 who wins this industry, and it's not even close. Um, bald liar is starting to piss off fighters. This is his words, not mine. GSP said in a very polite way that since Dana isn't a fighter and he can't understand his motivation, but since negotiations have stalled, do you really believe that GSP has the flame to come back fighting? Yeah, I don't think he's doing this for fun. I'm fairly certain. Do you think that Aldo will unretire and come back to the octagon, or is he done? I do believe he will come back. I do. And really, I know Aldo has done a lot to piss off fans from time to time, and I can understand that and appreciate that perspective, but you're talking about if you're, for everyone out there who is hitting the nuclear option and claiming they want to be released and everything else, who has the best case in terms of being wronged? It, it, it's Jose Aldo, man. It's Jose Aldo. That guy has done a lot, and you know, 10 years undefeated, loses once, however badly, comes back, does exactly what they ask him to do on a big card, beats Edgar handily, and uh, and then just gets shafted. I, you know, I, I, again, we've already talked about this issue to death, but if you know, if I'm the UFC and I'm thinking about we have to give a new contract to someone, it's definitely him. Now he says he doesn't want to come back even for that, but we'll see. Um. Do you think Ronda will be back a better version of herself or is Amanda going to steamroller? Well, it's not one or the other, right? Both could be true. Neither could be true. Um, I don't think Ronda will be a better version of herself, but I don't know that that means one thing or another for Amanda's chances. Connor is going to retire after 205 or he's just pulling some mind games again. Who knows? All right. Missing the Devil We Know. I saw Devil You Know in concert. They were not good. Uh, I saw the new Ghostbusters movie. I'm not going to get into a rant here. You know how everyone was like, you can't judge a movie based off the trailers. Mm, yes, you can. And, but even if you can't, everyone was like, oh, people hate this because it's all women. I'm like, I think all those women are funny. I watched Saturday Night Live. I've seen Melissa McCartney's movies. I don't watch that dumbass sitcom she's on. But I, I have no problem saying all of those ladies are funny. Their bona fides are legit. No two ways about it. That movie gave me, uh, I saw this on Twitter somewhere, so I'm borrowing it. But imagine the sensation of like working all day and going home and you're going to have, what, what's your favorite food? Like whatever it is. For me, it's like, let's say my favorite food in the world 
I don't know, favorite dessert might be something like uh, cheesecake or something, right? So imagine you get home, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have that slice of cheesecake. It was the worst day ever. And you, you, you take your fork and you scoop out a little piece of cheesecake. And right as you're about to put it in your mouth, every pipe in your house explodes with uh, boiling water and feces. Now imagine the feeling of being sh uh, drenched in that. That is a superior feeling that I that you would get than the one I got watching Ghostbusters. Everybody who who took a dump on that movie deserves a Nobel Prize for literature, and frankly, uh, a high five for candor. That movie sucked in ways I cannot describe. I don't have command. I mean, William Buckley Jr. in his prime wouldn't have command of the. I mean, like literally, you could sit down William Buckley Jr. Shakespeare, John Keats, and, uh, you know, uh, Robert Frost, and none of them would have command of the English language enough to talk about how much that movie sucked. They would all be like, I just, there's just no words for this. We have to, we'd have to borrow from another language or invent words because it sucked to that degree. If, if you find any critic who gave that a thumbs up, they are off the like they're off the list of who you check for critical reviews forever, forever they're off. It was pathetic, pathetic and sorry. And I can't believe I'm watching these stupid ass movies, but I am. Uh, so if you haven't seen the new Ghostbusters, everyone's like, you're a woman hater if you like it. No, no, I'm a bad movie hater. And that's what I don't like. And that's what that was. So, all right. <laughs> Getting back to the uh, issue of, Missing the devil we know. Considerations. The UFC is having a banner year financially, and fighters like McGregor and undoubtedly Rousey are getting unprecedented paydays. Okay. Anecdotally, it seems as though fighters always felt a degree of kinship and mutual respect with Lorenzo that they do not feel with Dana. Uh, certainly some of that is true. We have always believed that any real progress on a fighter association would require top guys like GSP to be willing to fall on their swords for the cause. True, mostly. This will be the most interesting year in the sports history outside of the cage. Agreed. Is it the confluence of circumstances, the Reebok, WME sale, etc., that has led to this current strife, or do you believe one thing is the driving factor? No, as I mentioned before, I think it's a steady creep of things. And in opposing the silent and faceless new owners, are the fighters now in a worse place than before in the fight for their rights? I don't feel like we've backtracked on that. The question is to what extent will the new ownership fight it versus what the old ownership would have done. But that seems very speculative and, and hard to measure. Um, but, you know, look, there is still pending litigation and there is legislation in Congress and PFA is out there trying to get 30% of um, the, the necessary signatures. Uh, so I don't feel like that's taken a, a step back. But to what extent WME is going to fight that kind of thing? I don't know. Someone's asking a question here, and it didn't get fully wrecked. They only got two of them, but I'm just going to answer real quickly. Luke, why does Dana White have to continually lie about things? GSP doesn't want to fight. Conor McGregor's next fight will be at 145 while he will drop the belt, etc. And why do fans always give him a pass saying it's the fight game, it's his job? Is it really his job to lie about what's really going on and putting the fighters down in the process? I'm a huge Dana White fan, but I, can, I can't handle the outright lies he gets caught in almost weekly. Okay, so you're saying, well, he gets a pass. He doesn't really get a pass. I mean, he only gets a pass depending on how you treat it. Like, is it his job to lie? Well, I mean, they don't, they don't tell him every morning, like, get up and just go lie to people. That's not his job. But his job is to promote the interests and the fights and the events of the Ultimate Fighting Championship on occasion that's going to require him to say false things uh, if he wants to have any kind of a media presence anyway. 
So he runs into these bad spots where he can't necessarily tell the truth. Also, I think, you know, he says certain things to exercise public leverage. Oh, Conor McGregor's going to fight at 145. That's to lean on them. He's not really saying it because it's already been, like, confirmed or it's true or, you know, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, the, the, do you guys remember when um, Tito dropped out of the Ultimate Fighter and Dana White was on the record saying that, like, I think Rich Franklin replaced him. And I think Dana White went on the record in interviews and saying that wasn't true and it ended up being true. Uh, you know, he lied on the record. Like, it's one thing to just lie at a press conference or whatever, but when a reporter asks you questions that were on the record, like, I mean, it's not a deposition in court, but there's a certain integrity in the process that's supposed to be upheld. And when he did that after that, I was like, done. Like it's, you know, it'll be true when the UFC announces it's true and not a minute before. And even then it, it helps you to have that kind of stuff verified. Partly. Yes, it is his job. You know, look at, look at any other effective, look, look at Bob Arum, you know, Bob Arum, um, you know, Bob Arum, you could say whatever you want about him. He's one of the most effective boxing promoters in the history of the sport far and away. Uh, he's had some failures too, but he's had a lot of success. That dude lies like it is going out of style. Um, this is just an occupational hazard that I feel like is unavoidable. The question is what you as the fan do with it or me as the media do with it. Do we accept it? Do we ignore it? I kind of just basically ignore what he has to say mostly. Um, not entirely, but to the extent I don't feel like I need to uh, believe it or that I look for independent verification than I do because I just know, one, you know, I don't, even if it's not mendacity, there's, it, it, it's just not a – you just can't trust them. So uh, you just have to wait. You know, Sonnen versus Tito. Really? Is this likely? Is oh wait, the most likely just going to? What the, is this English? Sonnen versus Tito. Really? This most likely there's there's words missing here. Is just going to be a wrestling match with some strikes peppered in. What are your thoughts, Luke? P.S. I'm a big fan of both. Just don't like them facing each other. Aside from the trash talk lead up, you donks are lying. You are going to love this fighter. Are you kidding me? First of all, we all know, look, Tito is a Hall of Famer. All right, man? You know, but I'm not breaking any news by saying he's also the butt of everyone's jokes, especially after that whole affliction thing, like one of the best light heavyweights of the night and stuff like that. And, uh, dude, Chael Sonnen is going to eat him alive. Chael Sonnen is going to eat him alive, verbally. Uh, and you donks are going to, I mean, you are going to eat it up like that cheesecake I mentioned earlier. You're going to, you're going to just say, oh my God, this is going to be, this is going to be tremendous. The fight itself, I don't know, but remember main events in Bellator are only three rounds. Um, uh, unless they're for titles, I believe I can't keep that straight, but definitely non-title ones are absolutely only three rounds and, um, yeah, they're five rounds for title fights so this is only going to be three rounds so what's the worst it could be and yeah it's going to be a lot of wrestling but everyone's going to kind of forgive it it's going to be the chael sonnen show unless chael just looks really bad or something i don't i understand that you might not like it fair enough but i mean bellator is not making this fight by accident chael sonnen is going to go out there and stunt verbally on tito ortiz everyone's going to love it uh, and, and that'll be that, man. Like, this is a no-brainer for Scott Coker, honestly. Uh, women's 145-pound division. Do you think it is possible to build this division around Cyborg? Yes, I do. Uh, Bantamweight title. Look, make the call. Who should Cruz fight next and why? Oh, man. 
This is so tough. So tough. Here's what I would say. If Garbrandt can get past someone like Lineker, then you give it to Garbrandt, maybe. Because at that point, he would be facing like something like his own crypt something like Kryptonite. And if he could beat that, um, maybe that would be enough to, to merit it. But I with everything that's going on these days, I just kind of man, that Dillashaw fight is just so tough. Because he's so deserving, like by a mile. There's no one even close to deserving as him. And I think Cruz versus Garbrandt would sell, but I don't think it would sell like so dramatically better than a TJ Dillashaw Cruz fight. I think it would be better. I'm not saying it wouldn't, but I, Garbrandt is not some kind of bankable star yet. He's still very much a prospect. We always forget that, you know. Um, the more interesting fight to me down the road, absolutely, absolutely, is Garbrandt versus Cruz. No doubt about it. But I, how do you deny TJ Dillashaw? At a minimum, he needs to get another fight against some kind of contender. And, you know, if he wins that, which I suspect he would, then you, you give him what he's owed. But his resume, man, he barely lost to Cruz. He goes out and beats the number two guy in uh, a Sun Sal handily. You know, maybe you make him fight one more time against maybe Lineker or somebody, whatever. But if they had to make it right now, ugh. I don't know how much I like that. Conor McGregor effect. To say the man is divisive is quite the understatement when it comes to MMA fans. Love him or hate him, people care, which is a good thing. I'm a firm believer that the attention he brings is good for the sport we love. Rising tide lifts all boats and such. What has surprised me in recent days is people actually siding with the NAC on the fine handout for tossing bottles and cans. And this was even before the 75K clarification, which was no clarification. What a stupid-ass argument that was from Bob Bennett. Oh, we find him only 75. The other 75 was for these moral purposes. I mean, get the... Go watch Ghostbusters, okay? Uh, my question, have Connor's detractors finally jumped the shark? I just can't believe anyone defending the lunacy that is the NAC. Uh... Here's what I've discovered about arguing on the internet. And I think this is a little bit harder to accept unless you've done it. It does not matter what I get up here and say. Some people are going to agree with more things than others. Whatever the case, ask any writer who has ever written for any kind of relatively visible publication. It does not matter what you write. Somebody out there will take issue with it. And someone like Conor McGregor, who certainly curries a lot of um, fan favor, but also rub some people the wrong way when he gets into an act where uh, he's clearly in the wrong. I think we can all agree there. And then receives some kind of punishment for it. That one that he can afford is how sort of it's, you know, charitably viewed. They're like, what's the big deal? Right. And, and I kind of, to an extent, I kind of understand it, except that when you really sort of examine it fairly, the only reason it happens is because there's this extraordinary conflict of interest with which the Nevada Athletic Commission doesn't want to admit, which is that um, the forfeiture or suspension of license is really the only mechanism by which these kinds of things can be uh, properly handled. And they don't want to do that because they need these guys. They're, they're tasked with regulating the very same people they need to help the interests of the state. It's, it's a gigantic conflict of interest gigantic so that's what it is and 
That's all that this is. And so anyone trying to dress this up as anything more than that, oh, well, you know, Connor can afford it. Big deal. You know, if my car got, I have a, I have a 2015 Honda, no, excuse me, 2015 uh, Mazda CX-5 Sport. Bought it when it was brand new, 2015, okay? Uh, if someone towed it, it would, would my life be over? No. I mean, I can, I, can, I can eat that loss. That wouldn't be, I mean, it would suck. But I could eat that loss. That, that has nothing to do with whether that would be just punishment for jaywalking or a just punishment for, you know, uh, I don't know, pick an infraction that is, you know, clearly wrong. But, oh, he threw cans. I mean, guys, this is what happens at every single rock concert across the world every day. I'm not here to tell you it's not dangerous. It is, I mean, this is not, you know... <laughs> This wasn't a public uh, active shooter at a, at a mall. I mean, let's settle down here a little bit. Oh, someone got hit with it. You ever been hit with a water bottle? It's not that bad. The cans, all right, that would suck. But, you know, I mean, please. Let's, <laughs> you're like, it could cause brain damage. I mean, only if you're a soft-headed moron, you know. I mean, that's a mean thing to say, but what do you want me to say? How many times you've been at a concert where someone was trying to like surf the crowd and then they just got dropped on their on their dumbass head? I've seen that probably a million times. That's not a good thing, but I don't recall any of those guys getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars, or even you know, in any capacity whatsoever. Uh, any news or updates on a union for MMA fighters coming together? I heard a few months back that it was being set up. I need to check in with those guys from PFA. I've not done that recently. I wonder where they are in terms of reaching that 30% threshold that they have to reach. Hey, Luke, just wondering what your take was on the comments about Bisping ducking the top contenders. Luke Rockhold came out and said that even though he's defended it once, that unless he defends, unless he defeats a contender, he'll never be a true champ. What do you reckon? I don't even know what that means. So what? So then Rockhold was never a true champ? That's what that would mean that were true can we just put this to bed the ufc came to bisping with the offer he didn't go to them now you could say oh he should have turned it down uh and maybe he should have but he wasn't like avoiding contenders they came to him and said hey we really want you to do this we'll give it and put it in manchester like jesus man i can i don't necessarily love it but i can understand rationally why he did it uh so, no, I mean, he beat Rockhold and beat Dan Henderson. He's, I mean, he's the champion, like, pretty clearly. Now, to what degree, you know, um, that championship run compares to someone like Weidman's? Well, we can have a discussion about that. But it's a championship run. Uh, okay, GSP and Ronda, two questions. Number one, if the GSP contract dispute ends up in court, could Dana White's public comments about GSP not wanting to fight, etc., come back to haunt the UFC? I don't think that's the issue here, unless he was sued, unless somehow, okay, so remember when Couture was sued by the UFC on his employment contract? One of the things the UFC claimed at the time was some of the comments that Couture made caused damage to their reputation and ability to do business, but they were asking for damages in the amount of $10,000, so like, you know, I mean, so I, 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 Maybe if somehow that gets involved. Otherwise, I don't think that's the relevant criteria. Would these public remarks add any weight to the notion that the UFC weren't negotiating the spirit of the contract? 
maybe I, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. On Ronda Rousey, given her public remarks about feeling suicidal, etc., after her loss to Holly Holm, does the UFC carry a duty of care for her or any other fighter in that situation? Should the UFC be making sure through psychological evaluations that she is mentally fit to return to the spotlight? It's um, an interesting question. That's an interesting question, actually. Um, okay. That would ultimately be the responsibility of the commission who licenses her. So let's see. I don't know if she's up for a renewed license in Nevada or not, but if she is, ultimately that would be kind of interesting to see. But the question is then from a corporate standpoint, what a, what should the UFC do? That is interesting. That's a good question. Hmm. Do they have any responsibility in that regard? I don't think that they will do anything. I don't think they necessarily see it as that damaging or that she is that damaged. Remember, they're blaming it on the media. Uh, it's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. You know, you have to ask yourself, did she cross some kind of threshold to make you say that, you know, some kind of, even if it's just sort of a basic mental health evaluation, is that required? But, you know, look, if we're asking about the mental health of the roster, how much of them are mentally healthy, how much of many of us are mentally healthy, you know, when a commission makes that decision to grant a license, they're just looking for some kind, like, do you have a, even if your grip on sanity is tenuous, they typically still grant you a license. So she's well within the, the parameters there. But the question is, you know, above and beyond that, does the UFC have some kind of responsibility? Um, maybe somewhat. Um, but that opens up a bit of a slippery slope in terms of the rest of their roster. Like, to what extent is Mike Perry, you know, mentally healthy? To what extent is Matt Brown or um, any of these guys, who some of which who have dealt with addiction issues and abuse in the home or... You know, we've talked about domestic violence past some of these guys have. It's, that, would, that would be – that's a really interesting question. And I'm sorry I don't have a better answer for you. All right, it is past to 15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. You can tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas, and I'll see what I can do. Someone's all bitter. I made fun of Harry. There's nothing that amuses me more in the world that when you make fun of Harry Potter fans, they get all bent out of shape about it. It's like, oh, God, I can't believe it. All right. What do you make of Shannon Sharp claiming that Nate Diaz can't make 155 pounds? Let me just defend Shannon Sharp for just a second. First of all, what he said was absolutely crazy. I mean, it's, it's just so crazy, okay, and absurd and, like, the dumbest thing on earth. I will defend him as such. Now, that show he's on is a disaster. However, he has to go on TV for what? two and a half hours every morning, every weekday, and argue about sports topics, it is inevitable he is going to say something outlandish because he's going to have to cover some kind of topic that he just doesn't know about. No one can be omnicompetent. I do, I do 10 hours of radio a week. I do the MMA beat. I do this live chat and the MMA analyst. It is inevitable, inevitable. When was the last time you had an hour-long conversation with someone and it was riveting, pillar to post? I'm sure it has happened. It's fairly rare. So Shannon Sharp is out there talking for, you know, 20 plus hours every week. Uh, you know, there's commercial time and stuff, but you get the idea. He is going to say there, there, it is, it is impossible to avoid that minefield. The difference is uh, for someone like Skip Bayless, they just don't care about 
truth is an irrelevant consideration to them. I don't know if Shannon Sharp's quite in that same uh, ballpark. I haven't watched enough of his analysis, but everyone's like bagging on him, including me, because I heard it and I was just like, oh my gosh, Shannon, what are you doing? I will defend Shannon on one consideration. Yes, he signed up for that show and he takes the responsibility for being prepped, but as someone who has your relatively similar responsibilities, although I try to keep all my, you know, I don't want to talk about mixed martial arts and things relatively related to that, so I don't get too far out of control. Um, uh, you, you get the idea. Like, it's it's hard. It's really hard. But yes, saying he's like, <laughs> he can't make 155, it's like, oh, Shannon. Oh, Shannon, buddy, you just got to stop right there. You know, go get a better suit and we'll figure this out. All right. Should I buy a 30 in pizza on my day off? $30 with the pizza? Sure. Have you seen the Hurt Business? I have not. I reviewed the, or I reviewed, I interviewed the director and uh, that was a helpful interview. He's the same guy who made uh, Generation Iron, if any of you guys are into weightlifting. Um, and that was a good documentary. Uh, slash movie. So um, if you're interested in that, that, maybe you'll like the Hurt Business. I have not seen it. Can't be any worse than Ghostbusters. Damn, Ghostbusters sucked. Uh, can you speak about the international layoffs in the UFC? It appears that they will be focusing mostly on the U.S. Yeah, I've heard that too, that there's going to be some consolidation around where the, where the um, events take place. I have to tell you, I don't think that's a bad idea. Now, I don't know what their specific plans are per region or how many events they want to do, but I've long felt that there was some level of international expansion that was misguided. Look, um, it made sense to take this product global in ways even that I hadn't imagined. So I had my own poverty of imagination problems. However, there were just some places that it just wasn't necessary. I think my own, uh, one of my MMA media colleagues, Patrick Weinland, was uh, talking about this on Twitter. When you go into a region, so remember, Everyone was like, Mexico is the next Brazil. Mexico is not the next Brazil, man. There is no next Brazil. Um, there is no other. I mean, there's this country with a martial arts history, but there's no country with like a Vale Tudo history. And uh, they had this sort of booming economy at the time that it did that was ready for, and just ripe for the picking um, in the way that Brazil was. Mexico doesn't have the number of gyms, the trainers, the market conditions. The peso was way down. Uh it's just not ready. It's not ready. And these, these things, these, these events take time. These, these, these markets take time to be nurtured and developed. Look, I'm not saying that eventually Mexico won't be some enormous uh, contributor to high level mixed martial arts. Maybe it's even inevitable, but it's not there now. And this idea, like trying to push it, push it, push it and, and claim it to be things that it's not. I, I never really understood that. Is Singapore really ready for the UFC in some kind of permanent basis? Maybe, I don't know. Korea doesn't seem to me to be all that ready either. Uh, Philippines are UFC hungry, but you know, relative to what you could be doing in other places that have fertile ground, how much sense does it make to go there? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that scaling that back to some extent is all that bad, bad idea. But that just is a theoretical version of things. I don't know what their actual plan is. And you know, I have to say, losing guys like Jamie Pollock. Jamie Pollock was, you guys may not know that name, significantly important for the development of uh, uh, you know the UFC's brand and mixed martial arts generally in South America, both Spanish speaking and Portuguese speaking. And he's gone twelve years. Um, guys like Marshall Zelaznik, one of the sort of um, spirit, the guy who spearheaded the effort behind um, Fight Pass, among innumerable other things. Uh, you know, it sucks to lose those guys. So you're losing. You know, on the one hand, I feel like some contraction was 
necessary and frankly inevitable. But on the other hand, think about all the core competencies they're losing with the personnel that are going to be gone. Like, um, you know, they've got guys in house that can do that. Boy, they've got some talented guys in house. Uh, oh, someone's asking, what's worse, Ghostbusters or Jason Bourne? Jason Bourne uh, is the worst movie ever made. So Ghostbusters is not as bad as that. Do you think that the path way to the belt has changed and that's what some MMA fans resent? Yes. Yes, I do. Are the UFC putting all their eggs in one limited basket? Connor, a year off, maybe Ronda, maybe has three fights left. We'll see if uh, GSP's leveraging power grows if Connor does take this rumored time off and, uh, and Ronda, who knows if this is her last fight, you know. What do you think the co-main event for 206 card will be? So far, the card is pretty disappointing. I have no idea. I have no idea. I've looked at that card. It's right now, it's like the Valerie Letourneau fight is listed as the co-main event. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with that, honestly. That's a great question. I've been wondering myself. But that card, woo! I mean, I feel bad for Daniel Cormier, man, because you guys know that, well, maybe, maybe you're not interested so much in the Rumble rematch, but I don't think you can argue it's a bad fight. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting fight. But sandwiched between 205 and 207, oh, it is going to get buried. I feel bad for those guys, man. With the new owners paying $4 billion for the UFC, it's inevitable that Cyborg versus Rousey plus GSP's return will happen. Inevitable? I don't know. Certainly, given their financial priorities, it makes it more likely than not. Surprising you go after Ronda Rousey for don't cry comment, considering for the context or using that comment. Yeah, it was related to the uh, um, sort of payback for the the perceived suicide slight. Uh, and we talked about this before. I lost my mother to suicide. Right. The thing is, um, saying that kind of thing and then falling victim to it is just never really a good look. I don't really mind that anyone says it, provided they can sort of maintain a, you know, a relatively even keeled attitude about things. But, you know. I wonder how much of that is projection. Uh, would you rather watch Jason Bourne every night or listen to Face the Pain on repeat for every workout for your life? Oh, Jesus. Uh, is eating a bullet an option? Um, Christ Almighty. I'll watch Jason Bourne because if I had to listen to Face the Pain on repeat, I'd just never lift. I just wouldn't go. That's a weird question. How do you balance heavy lifting like deadlifts and squat with martial arts training? Uh, you do martial arts training one or two times a week. That's it. If someone was like really like trying to like do it in a martial arts training, like a a real way, like you're a real competitor, I have no idea how lifting weights would fit in. I mean, some guys do it, but I would be woefully unqualified to, to, I'm just trying to pick up things, right? I'm just trying to learn things. I don't have any competitive ambition. Uh, what kind of ratings would UFC 205 do on Fox? 20 million, 30 million? It's a great question. You have to think it would peak at at least 20 if the first one peaked at 10. The, the, just that heavyweight title fight. Um, maybe even 30-30 was what the, you know, the NFL games do. Um, I don't think that's crazy. You guys love the would you rather. Would you rather have audio issues on every live chat from now on or watch every episode of WWE Raw from now on? Jesus. I'd rather have audio issues. Straight up. 
and just have like you guys murdering me on Twitter for it. Does Dana White's general disposition show why he's friends with Trump? I'm just skipping that one. Has UFC become fighting championship for people lucky enough to have a Reebok sponsorship? Uh, certainly favors uh, some fighters over others. Who is the best available opponent for BJ Penn? Clay Guida, maybe? You know who is asking for the BJ Penn fight, and I love the idea? Korean Zombie. Love the idea of BJ Penn versus Korean Zombie. Love that a lot. If Korean Zombie is back, as he says he is, uh, then let's put him against uh, BJ Penn. If McGregor gets brutally beaten by Alvarez, where does he go from there? Must he return to 145? I think so. But who knows? I mean... Someone says, oh, you nailed it. Vontez Perfect up to his old tricks again. Everyone's like, all oh, these fines will really show him. You see Vontez Perfect? I mentioned it on two previous chats. He just got another $75,000 fine for a vicious hit. He's racked up more than a million dollars in fines. And I don't know if he even makes Conor McGregor money. If they want to do it, they will just do it. Oh, we have to show him force. You're not showing him anything. Is there anyone in the middleweight top 10 you favor Bisping to beat in a title fight? I think he's capable of beating all of them. Favor him to beat? Uh, let's see. You know, I think he was going to be Rockhold, and he beat Rockhold easy. Middleweight. Oh, sure. Whitaker, uh, Belfour, Hall. He already, well, Hall's at the end. He already beat Lightis. Uh Yeah, he could beat a couple of these guys. And maybe he beats the other ones too. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been wrong about. I've been wrong about Michael Bisping so many times. With the sale of the UFC, fighter pay Reebok deal, head scratching matchmaking, etc., will 17 be the year of the fighters' revolt? Not 17 and 18, or maybe never. With so many of the big-name fighters on 205, what else can the UFC do to ensure the annual big December pay-per-view is as good as 205? I don't know if they care that it's as good as 205 as long as Rousey's on the card, right? Someone says, if I want a chance to get a question answered in the live chat using, the, using Twitter, do I use the chat rapper's hashtag? Yes, you do. WME IMG will unintentionally help Bellator close that gap on UFC. That very much remains to be seen. Long shot, but will the money saved in vast staff roster cuts uh, be reinvested for fighter pay increase? Oh, I don't think so. That is not the read that I get. Do you rue the day when a UFC card draws the same crowd as Maypack? God, what an awful crowd that was. Yeah, I guess I would. Uh, how is it the UFC can freeze GSP's old contract to leverage him to sign a new one? Have they taken basic contract law? Absurd. I don't think that's what they're doing. Do you think the UFC 206 needs one more big fight? It needs like four more big fights. Uh, I rewatched The Smashing Machine, knees to the head of the ground. Wow, shocking and sad what happened to Kerr. If you haven't seen The Smashing Machine, I think it's on Netflix. Go check it out. All right, it's 2.30. I appreciate everyone watching. Thank you guys so much. Thumbs up. You can check out The Luke Thomas Show at 4 p.m. today. Series XM Rush 93. But please subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on SoundCloud. You can do it on iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice. Uh, you can give this video a thumbs up. You can share it. You can be an awesome person, and I would very much appreciate that. I always appreciate you guys watching. Thank you very much. 
There is an MMA beat tomorrow. I will be on it, and the train rolls on. Uh, again, thank you guys for watching. I'm glad we had no audio issues. You're the best, and until next time, stay frosty.